Look, up on the slopes. What is that? Well, it looks like a pair of cross-country skiers going downhill. No, it must be some alpine skiers with broken bindings. Wait, on closer inspection, it's... Those Telly Guys. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Those Telly Guys. And I'm joined, as always, by Morgs. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, Rich. How are you? Uh, very good. I'm pretty happy, although I'm feeling a little bit cold. It's pretty cold at the moment. Yes, it seems there has been a cold snap across the southeast of Australia and, of course, Victoria. And, of course, that means that it's going to snow and there isn't anything we can do about it. There is not. But hopefully we can uh, get out and slide on some, which is quite opportunist. Like you're up here at the moment and, you know, we're thinking we weren't going to get any turns and maybe, maybe we will. Yes, although we did uh, just ride our bicycles up to Falls Creek today and can confirm there is no snow that the eye can see that isn't at least 10 kilometres away when you're standing in the village of Falls Creek. That's, that's <laughs> right. So there was some in the uh, southern aspects on Spion, deep in the gullies. Um, fair walk out to that, though. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we might ride out and uh, see what we can find. But, um, anyway, what's on for today? What are we doing? Well, I think we'll be chatting to a fellow Telemark skier, Andy Blair, Rich. Yes, uh, Andy Blair, also um, a professional cross-country mountain bike, or at least used to uh, compete quite a bit, representing Australia. And uh, I actually um, brought some skis off him recently, and that's how I got onto him and uh, asked him to come onto the show. And um, they are, of course, the uh, line... Profits, 90 underfoot, the same ski as the Team 100s that I've got made by Kahu back in the day. And uh, Morgan, do you, do you know what bindings are on the skis? Um, outlaws. No. <laughs> it's the axle. <laughs> of course it's the axle. Yeah, I couldn't help. I've got a problem. Yeah. Uh, yes, well, you know, hmm. this isn't the time or place to address it, but... Yeah, I, I need to see something. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, should we take our listeners to that interview? Yes, let's go there. Let's go. Yes, well, Rich, our next guest on the show is a uh, two-time Australian national champion in cross-country marathon mountain bike riding, a 2014 Commonwealth Games representative in the sport and has raced at the highest level in various world cup races around the world andy blair welcome to those tally guys how are you uh good good nice to be here yeah and no, thanks for coming on um before we ask some questions about uh, mountain biking and uh tally skiing in general uh where are you located uh, i'm in canberra so only about two and a half hours from the mountains i suppose yeah and, and how's your winter been it's been somewhat uh dismal in victoria we've had some good days but uh we've certainly had many non-snow days too yeah i think i've definitely skied i reckon more days in the rain this year than in my whole life before that so <laughs> um but it's sort of yeah it, it hasn't been good let's be honest weather-wise snow-wise but um COVID on top of that i think has made it a bit of a funny funny season um, you know, we had season passes at Threadbow, they refunded us, we had to buy day passes. It was a bit, little bit tricky to get your head around. Um, 
and just a different kind of way of skiing, I suppose. But um, but for me, it's been okay. I've got two young kids, two and four years old, so um, there's no there was no threadboat land or daycare or anything. So we spent a lot of time with them, um, trying to ski and spend as much time on the mountain as we could. But but that's obviously pretty limited with the little guys. But but yeah, just sort of I guess was an opportunity to focus a bit more on on that and um, yeah, not farm them out to threadboat land so much. But um, but you know, it's a bummer because I think my four year old did a bit of that last year and really enjoyed it being with other little kids. So, so I think a balance would have been good, but, um, but yeah, just try and take the, the positives out of it. So were you part of the click frenzy then when Threadbow sold all their tickets or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. I was part of that. I had one night where I was trying to buy tickets at midnight and that was a bit of a disaster to be honest, but really down to IT. I think, um, you know, I think after that, it actually really was quite calm. Um, you could you could contact them directly and you could get the days you wanted and even though on that night I couldn't um, just because the website wasn't amazing um, we got everything we wanted it was easy and there was subsequent releases of tickets and it wasn't too bad I mean the biggest the biggest issue that I had was um, that you know I was going up say for a week at one point um, and knowing that my kids are pretty small they're not going to want to ski every day I didn't buy them tickets every day um, even though those are only ten dollars um, but then okay. just as it sort of happens when you're on a holiday, you know, the weather might be good or bad or whatever. And it turns out you might want to ski on one of those days. And um, that was a little bit tricky. And I had one day actually where I thought I had a ticket for my four-year-old and um, we got, we, I pumped him up. It was like, he was keen for getting there for first lift at the new gondola and we're down there and he scanned his ticket. Oh, sorry, you don't have a ticket for today. So I had a little fellow yeah. in tears and um, had to <laughs> quickly readjust the plan and, um, so I had a ticket, but he didn't. Um, and so I actually went back to our place, made a little thermos of hot chocolate and got a tow rope and then bought um, a single ride Kosciuszko chairlift, which is a backcountry access ticket. Um, yeah. And so we were able to just go for a ski tour off the top of Eagle Nest. Um, so sort of actually kind of really turned into a nice day, to be honest. We're only up for a few hours, but um, but yeah, it was good. It was really good. So it was a fun little trip. But, but yeah, just sort of those little things kind of, when you normally have a season pass, you don't think about it. Um, so, yeah, this year definitely threw up a few curveballs. Awesome. Now, I think um, I think I originally first started following your Instagram account uh, due to your prowess in the mountain biking world, Andy. And um, but then I noticed that you were a telemark skier as well, and I've um, I sort of got into telly. I don't know, like five years ago or so um and yeah and i you know started seeing some videos and photos on your account i thought wow that's really awesome um you know and some of your ski runs down uh into dead horse gap a couple of years ago in the blizzard of oz and the blizzard of oz 2.0 were pretty pretty epic so um when did uh when did you get into tele skiing and, and was it always tele skiing for you or did you um yeah how did your sort of journey into um winter sports begin um, well, growing up in Canberra or Queenbeyan actually, but um, I used to go skiing with my parents, but just for probably like a few, like a handful of day trips every year. So I always skied a little bit and really enjoyed it, um, but never really took it so seriously. Then um, when I was at uni, I sort of moved into snowboarding a bit. Well, I took a bit of a break from skiing to race my bike when I was younger and then um, um, kind of stopped racing for a while when I was at uni and yeah, got into the snowboarding and thought that was pretty fun. Uh, and one of my mates I used to snowboard with, I uh, did a season with him in France in 2003. And mm-hmm. um, he just spent the, the winter before that in New Zealand and um, 
and met a bloke who did telemark skiing and we previously mountaineered together and then he got into sort of ski mountaineering and telemark skiing with this bloke he met over in New Zealand and when we basically arrived in France to do our ski season, he walked me into a shop and just said, uh, you're buying, you're buying telemark skis? So <laughs> kind of a few hundred euros later, I've got a brand new pair of like Rosino Hellgate um, tele skis and some pretty ordinary Scarpa T2 boots and good to go for a winter and um, yeah, kind of sort of in the beginning I was doing both snowboard and telemark and um, you know, I couldn't waste a powder day on learning how to ski. So mm. I'd sort of still ride the snowboard a bit. And then um, we started getting into quite a few ski mountaineering trips and um, it can get pretty serious over there with um, a bit of glacier travel and like, yeah, skiing down glaciers and that. Um, um, like in wintertime, it can be a bit scary with some big, big holes and that. So um, there was kind of, there was definitely, a, there was a moment, there was a massive turning point where we're going down this glacier um, the Glacier du Gé, which is like this really cool ski tour from Les Arcs where I was down into another valley. It takes basically most of the day and you get a bus back. But um, we're going down there and it was a bit of breakable crust, kind of a good bit of the way down and um, some big crevasses. And my mate said, righto, righto, Larry, you have to give me a no-fall guarantee here because it's too dangerous. And um, I mm. could not do a turn without falling and then sliding down the snow. Oof. And it scared me so much that I was like snowboarding's over i just have to ski every day and get real good because it's sort of yeah not it's not the go to not be able to ski very very strong when you're in those situations so yeah that was a bit of a turning point and um and yeah pretty much i reckon yeah probably didn't really touch my snowboard ever again i think i don't i actually don't think i have ridden it since so um yeah Yeah, got put it in the bin or something like that well i've still got it but doesn't have any bindings on it and I don't know. It's pretty, pretty wrecked anyway. But yeah, just, just kind of. I guess once you get a bit better at skiing, it's sort of a bit self-motivating. Like um, mm. at first, it was a bit frustrating, but um, quite like the learning curve. And um, and and yeah, once you're comfortable with it, and you know, we were doing a lot of trips, so going over to Chamonix and um, Zermatt and and other places around where we were, and um, and uh, yeah, just sort of, I guess, just sort of snowball from there. Um, so. Yeah, that's how I got into it. So um, being able to tour easy on that sort of equipment, was that what you liked most about teleskiing or is it the turn? Yeah. Or? Well, so like I said, yeah, he basically didn't give me a choice. I don't even know what it was actually. Um, he, he actually rang me before the season when he was over in New Zealand. He told me he'd sold his snowboard and I couldn't believe it. And, you know, you know I made the jokes about oh, telemarketing and or whatever, but I really had no idea. And, um, but he... So I think back then, I'm pretty sure a good bit of the justification was because the Alpine touring gear wasn't that great, um, or it was heavy, or it was not perfect for ski mountaineering. Um, but yeah, it really was that situation of having a mate who was into it and, and just him telling me. But um, but yeah, I kind of, actually this year, I, I, it's always in the back of my mind that Alpine skiing has some advantages. Um, and it, eat it, away, it, it ate away at me for a while. And um bought some skis and alpine boots this year to try and um it's actually not even that good like i i thought it'd be real easy because i can do parallel mark turns on my tele skis and um feel pretty good obviously in the back seat a little bit but um i found it harder to do stand-up turns on alpine skis than i can do on my tellies so i really don't know quite what that's all about but 
because in theory it doesn't make sense. But um, but yeah, it's it has convinced me that um, yeah, there's there is virtually no downside to telemarketing, which um, which because I think there's the obvious benefits of it being just a lot freer and um, just kind of just getting around and travelling is heaps easier with tele telegear. Mm. Yeah, and as we were saying just before the show, there you've uh, upgraded to NTN, which has the step-in feature, obviously. Um, so I guess with that, there's the gap between I guess Alpine skis and Telemark skis are getting somewhat smaller in terms of you know their capability. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. I mean yeah, like we mentioned. I mean the step-in thing for me, just not having to bend down, not having a leash, having brakes. You know, I think all those things make it a lot easier. It wasn't. It's not like it even really bothered me before, but when you when you don't have to bend down anymore, it's sort of it's sort of nice. So I guess you just um, yeah, you kind of get get a bit comfortable with it. But um, but yeah, no, I think the new gear is really amazing. Like um, yeah, I think performance wise, it's okay, but um, yeah, it's just I don't know it, it just feels a bit simpler, and um, you know, I think um, I don't know. Yeah, if you're still on the old gear, it's still bloody good, but. Um, but yeah, I, I won't be going back. <laughs> Seventy-five million dead. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, we should we should uh, mention there, I suppose, that uh, this I guess this whole thing kind of started for for the listeners out there. Uh, Richard did purchase some skis off Andy last week or the week before or something, wasn't it, Rich? It, it was. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know. They got here very quickly. Anyway, <laughs> I think they arrived last week from Canberra. So. Um, uh, the old 75 mil axles um, on uh, some line profits, 90 underfoot. And uh, yeah, they were fantastic to ski. We managed to sneak up falls and get a few runs in. Um, but uh, what's, your, what's your setup now if you're, you're on the NTN, obviously, but uh, what binding and ski are you riding these days? Um, I kind of, um, I've sort of got a few now accumulated. I um, probably, uh, like, yeah, I've got some um, Black Crow Orb um, free rides, or what are they called? The touring one um, um, with with Outlaw X bindings that are pretty nice. Like they were a sort of, they're kind of a touring ski, probably tiny bit lighter, but 90 underfoot and um, yeah, still pretty fun. I've uh, got some wider Liberty Helix. That's, I think, 105. Um, and I, actually, my wife won a pair in a raffle of Rosignol Soul seven wow. or something like that that have i actually use them a lot this year and i think they're pretty fun ski to, to ride they're quite long but they've got real early rise mm. um tips so um ski a bit short and um yeah good bit of fun so um oh and i actually i actually bought some secondhand skis this year too some atomic i don't even know what they are atomic something pretty nice um from a fellow down in Castle Maine, but they I bought them because I wanted to try the Rodefella um, free ride bindings, um, oh, just yeah. sort of searching for something a bit stiffer maybe, or just a different thing to try. Um, but I think I definitely prefer the the Outlaw um, over the the um, the free free ride binding. Yeah, I think they're the Outlaw is stiffer um, and just suits my style a bit better. Mm. And you, you mentioned uh, at the start, Andy, that uh, your children are two and four. Um, last week, Rich and I actually just interviewed a fella from South Australia who's about 13 years old and absolutely mad for Telemark. So um, can we safely assume that your children will be skiing Telemark, um, you know, within the next five years? 
Oh, well, <coughs> hopefully they'll be doing some sort of sport in the mountains. But um, I, don't, I don't reckon I'll push Telemark onto them. I think, um, well, not least of all, just because it's probably hard to get the gear small enough. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If they show an interest, then, yeah, no worries, for sure. But um, I'll see how we go. Like, I think if you get into Alpine scheme, it's probably not too hard. But, yeah, I think, like I said, I found it a bit hard going back. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I've, I've taken my um, four-year-old touring already a couple of times with a tow rope, and, um, and he quite likes that. So... I'm hoping that'll sort of plant the seed that he doesn't just become lazy and kind of, you know, do shuttles on the mountain bike and out, like resort skiing only. Hopefully he can um, sort of propel himself a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And, and by the sounds of it, you do like uh, using your own power to um, get around places and obviously um, cross-country mountain biking is one of those sports that does that. So when did that all start for you, um, cross-country mountain biking, and uh, and how long did you ride competitively for? Um, I started when I was pretty young. Like, I reckon, I'm not by today's standards, but back then it was a new sport. But So probably when I was about 13 or 14 um, in my hometown of Queenie, and a fellow opened a shop in town and, um, and started a club, a little mountain bike club. And so that's how I got into it pretty young just on a crappy old hard you know or fully rigid you know five speed mountain bike and um um kind of there was a few opportunities locally with um the act academy of sport um they did like a talent identification thing and came to our schools and did a beat test and sort of out of that i um got a bit got a bit of support to get into road cycling and um got a coach and that but um but always stayed on the mountain bike and my coach was good and happy for me to do that as well. But, um, yeah, went to junior worlds twice and then, um, uh, got, got sick, um, when I was I think 19 and sort of stopped riding for, um, quite a while. I had to stop. I got, wasn't really able to race for a couple of years. And then by that point I was at uni and kind of like, yeah, it wasn't like super keen to get back into it. Um, got back into it a bit later um like in about probably about 2007 and then started just enjoying it again and kind of doing a bit more and more and it sort of just snowballed into something pretty serious um and then yeah started taking time off to go to europe to race world cups in in our winter time and um yeah kind of got back in the national team in 2009 for the world champs in canberra which was pretty cool to race at home and then um yeah i don't know sort of yeah sort of did that for a few years and then backed off a tiny bit but the opportunity of com games came up and um and then that sort of motivated me to get right back into cross country and um and i was able to go over there so that was probably the highlight of my career yeah was it in listerfield uh no no the next one so it was too late yeah, they missed Delhi because uh, they didn't have mountain bike there. And then this oh, was of course, yeah. 14 in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So, yeah, I was pretty lucky because um, they took three riders. I reckon I was the third rider. Um, well, it was, and, uh, was Cam Ivory and Dan McConnell or and, something. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, yeah. So it's kind of, you know, I mean, at the time, like I was, you know, I earned the spot. Um, but um, um, then in Gold Coast... Four years later, they had three spots and they only took Dan. So, um, you know, even if you, you know, kind of feel like you're, you're, you've got the spots and you're in that 
at level, but um, you know there can be a decision made above your head that they're just not going to take you. So Cam, for example, missed out on um, on Gold Coast, even though he was actually the Australian champion at the time. So yeah, yeah right. I was pretty lucky back then. Yeah, wow. And is, are you still uh, getting out on the bike, uh, racing competitively at the moment, or is that kind of uh, taking a break? At the uh, well, COVID's killed it pretty much for oh, the for year, sure. like in yeah. terms of competition. Yeah. But um, um, still, still do a bit. But in winter time, um, not as much. Like with the kids, I, I've backed it right back quite a lot anyway. But um, like last year, still managed to do a good few races. But but this year with COVID and um, yeah, and just coming out of a ski season too, with nothing particularly to train for, it's a bit hard to to be motivated to go out during the week and then trying to get to the mountains on the weekend. So. Yeah, not doing an amazing amount, but I don't know. Now that the snow is starting to melt, I'm sure I'll get back into it again. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, living in Canberra, you've got so many great opportunities to train there with um, um, uh, Stromlo and the, the Pines there and some other cross-country um, places there. But did you ever go and ride uh, the Mont 24-hour race as a bit of training? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We used to do them. I don't know how many I did, but a lot. The Mont and the Scott, and um, that was actually probably one of the races that kind of motivated me to get back into cycling and back into racing. Um, sort of when I kind of after I was sick for a while, and then yeah, like in the 2006 or so, 2007. Um, actually, my dad invited me to be part of a team, so it's interesting because um, um, when I was a young fella, he used to drive me around the races, and he's not much of a spectator. So he started mountain biking because because I was doing it and he had to take me to the races anyway, so he might as well do them. Um, and then when I stopped racing for, you know, five or six years or whatever, and then he kept going and um, was he was what got me back into the sport um, later on by inviting me to do one of those 24 hours. So it's kind of good that I planted that seed at the time when I was young. Mm. It is, a, it is a shame that uh, they don't run the Mont anymore up at Canberra, but do they, do they still have the Scott? Because I think that was, is that still the national title for 24-hour mountain bike nah, racing? I don't know. They don't have pretty much anything. I don't, there's certainly none in Canberra anymore hmm. um, oh, right. that I know of. Yeah. So I think... I um, that's the only one then. Hmm. Yeah, there might be one in, might be one in Sydney. Um, but yeah, there's sort of, like a lot of things, you know, there's a bit of a fashion and, kind of people get excited about it and then they move on to the next thing. Like it was a marathon for a while and then it was stage race and now it's enduro or whatever, e-bikes, I don't know. Um, you know, it's sort of, it is funny how kind of habits and trends sort of form and, um, and yeah, things that, you you know, we used to do those things with like, I don't know, 4,000 riders or something. They were huge. So, yeah, from to go to that, from that to sort of, yeah, to not, not even be able to run, it's a big difference. Yeah, well, one of my... Uh, favorite childhood movies was watching the film uh, 24 Solo, obviously about Chris Etoff and uh, Craig Gordon. And yes, I think around that time, 24 hour mountain bike racing was extremely popular in Australia. Um, and speaking of e-bikes, Andy, I noticed on your, on your Instagram this afternoon that you were having tr- a little trouble lubricating the chain. <laughs> Obviously, uh, yeah. that, was, that was a bit of a gag, but we found that quite humorous. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been uh, getting out and about on the e-bike, giving them a test run for Specialized? Oh, oh, my dad bought it, actually, and he's on holidays. So I just went to his house the other day and grabbed it to do a few rides to see what it's like. Um, but, yeah, it's, not, it's nice. Um, they're pretty expensive, pretty heavy, but... Um, 
but no, a nice bit of kit. And it's sort of, yeah, I'm not actually sure where I stand on e-bikes, to be honest. Um, obviously, I'm not too worried about pushing my own bike around, but um, sort of being a cross-country rider. But, um, but yeah, th- there is a funny thing about them. Like, I can definitely see the benefits um, for certain people in certain circumstances, but um, I don't think I'm going to rush out and buy one. I, I, I'd be almost scared that it might make me lazy. But, um, but uh, I'm actually really keen when he comes back to go riding with my dad with me on a normal bike and him on his e-bike. I think that's, that's a perfect use for that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, I felt like I could have used an e-bike today riding up to Falls Creek. Uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, no, it was all right. No, it was a good, good ride. But um, just to um, uh, speak of mountain biking and, um, of course, uh, we're interested in skiing stuff too. Did, did all the, uh, the skiing adventures take a back seat when you were kind of representing Australia or did you still find that you had enough flexibility to, um, you know, still have winters in Australia and, and get good seasons in and stuff like that? Um, well, when I was racing overseas, pretty much I didn't ski, I reckon. Maybe I did the odd little bit here and there, like late season or very early season. But um, the years that I was real serious about riding, I was over in Europe for six months. So yeah. Um, yeah. you obviously just totally missed the winter. Um, but yeah, I sort of, yeah. So outside those kind of, you know, few years where I spent heaps of time in Europe, um, um, I still often managed to do a bit of skiing. So when I was sort of slightly more domestic focus, um, and doing a lot of marathons and stuff, um, it was actually possible to balance it a bit. Um, because we have races, you know, so I was doing a sort of stage races and marathons and then cross country national series over summer, the whole, the whole year is full of races, um, so there's no real great time to have an offie. I think having winter there was real good um, to be able to kind of force me to have an, a bit of an offie, like, um, because, so when, we, I, you know, I was racing um, here in Australia for Specialised, and luckily, I think with mountain biking and also in a team that myself and Sean Lewis kind of built together, we really had flexibility on what races we did and, and which ones we, we wanted to take seriously and that, so... Um, we were always able to to pick and choose and make it kind of work and um and so like i'd often i'd often not train much during winter um but then kind of september would come around and there'd be quite a few marathons like flight center epic dwelling up 100 Kowalski classic would all be kind of Mm. weekend after weekend and um so i sort of i'd often approach that time of year with like a lot of strength from doing like a lot of skiing and touring and stuff but um but not a lot of speed or real like that real fitness. Um, but, but it, off, it, it never really took me that long to get it back. Um, I think the, the skiing is really quite complimentary. And, you know, I think, you know, some people idea of an off season is to go to the beach and get fat or, you know, drink beer <laughs> or something. I don't know. But, um, but for me, it was more just like having a different focus. So um, yeah, skiing is a very different thing physically. Like it still has some compliments, but you know, it's just, it's a thing just for fun, but it's still active. So, um, you know, I think it worked. Like the off-season still served its purpose um, by just freshening my mind and everything, you know, and, and motivation and that. Um, and then, yeah, I was always surprised how quick the form came back after having, you know, two months of sort of, yeah, not a lot of riding. Um, it had kind of come back pretty quick. So, yeah, I think it definitely helps. And, it's like, it's good for core and 
it is like doing lunges all day. Like, um, yeah. So, yeah. You know, it can't be bad. Um, yeah. And it's symmetrical. Like, yeah. Unlike snowboarding, where one foot actually, or well, leg works harder than the other. Um, it's yeah. getting symmetrical, which is good. Yeah, you didn't ever get scooch leg as a snowboarder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, oh, you might not have seen There's a funny video going around of like cross-country snowboarders. You should probably Google that maybe after this. But um, <laughs> scooch leg is when one of your quads just gets like twice the size of the other one because you're always trying to scooch <laughs> your way across like flat. <laughs> but I was, I was going to say, like, yeah, would, would Tally Seguin be quite complimentary for um, getting back on the bike, having worked both the quads out pretty well, especially if you're doing touring as well? Yeah. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon, I reckon it was real good. Like, I'd often tell other guys, you know, you need to try skiing because it's real good. <laughs> but it's sort of hard to convince a lot of cyclists to, to get into it. I think... Um, I think some of the guys are getting closer. Like Sean Lewis came up for a ski this year. Um, he's keen to do a bit of touring with me. Um, but, yeah, it's the kind of thing, like, you just know they're going to be into it. I've been trying to drag Brendan Johnson up, um, but he's he's sort of got his hands full now with, it, with the young baby and still trying to race. So, so I'm sure in a couple of years, if we keep working on him, we'll get him into it. Yes, well, he's got a Melbourne to Warrnambool title to, uh, to defend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I guess we're getting towards the end of the uh, interview, uh, Andrew, but um, have you ever combined both riding and uh, skiing on some sort of adventure before? I, uh, we heard a tale you yeah. might have um, ridden your bike out with some tally boots on once to do a bit of skiing somewhere. Yeah. So early this year in, um, in June, uh, I did like quite an early season trip um, uh, when the road to Charlotte's Pass was still open. Um, we actually took the bikes as a bit of a, um, so there was a bit of a storm and, um, we took our bikes as a bit of an insurance policy in case the road was closed from Perisher, but we were able to drive all the way to Charlotte's. Um, but then kind of thinking it might be just as good as leaving them on the back of the car. We might as well ride them up as far as we can go towards Rawson's, um, um, and then just chain them to a pole. And so, yeah, we set off on the bikes and, um, it wasn't a bad, a bad way to do an approach because the snow, we, it was on actual snow, like it wasn't actually on tar or anything or the yeah, pavers, yeah. so there was enough snow for it to be covered. Um, so it was sort of just because we could really, it wasn't um, like, you know, a necessity. But, um, but yeah, it sort of, yeah, definitely learnt, um, learnt that um, like a telly boot pushes your, your ankle out pretty far from the crank and so you, you definitely don't get a lot of purchase on a pedal um so yeah it can be a bit tricky but um yeah definitely less than theirs to wear take a pair of sneakers um but yeah yeah i actually have another cycling story i did a um myself and a mate um took our at one point years ago we got fat bikes and did a did a trip on um fat bikes up from um from um from charlotte's pass up to cozy across the threadbow and then down um down to crackenback and wow. that was it. That was a nightmare. Fat bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like every time, I don't know, you think, oh, that's mad. And we set up, actually, we set up from Parisha. We've got the ski tube from, from Crackenback, so from Parisha. And it was all frozen, happy days, like real early, like seven in the morning. Um, oh, this is sweet, you know, it's real fun and frozen. So it's terrific, fast. Oh, we're going we're gonna to go really far. This will be easy. And then it uh, didn't take long for the sun to get on the snow. And it was, I think it was in September. And, um, 
yeah, once the sun got on the snow and it thawed a little bit, could not drive the thing. Like, um, oh, right. it just like the tread would just shear off the top layer of the snow, so you couldn't get any drive. And it was just, it was way worse than riding in sand. It was terrible. So oh. we were on and off the bikes, just basically sprinting on the bike to try and stay fast enough um, <laughs> to keep some sort of forward momentum. And then, um, yeah, just end up shearing snow and stopping and sinking. And, and so we had to walk a lot. So we basically pushed these silly bikes um, all the way up Cozzy. And um, by that point, it was so cooked. The snow was so thawed that... Um, it was even hard to ride down. Like you were pedaling down the hill and oh. you wait right back to try and fr- float the front wheel. So, yeah, a bit of a disaster, but um, but still funny, funny trip. You know, we we laughed about it, but um, yeah, it was it was worth doing. And then the next day we went ski touring. It's like, oh, that's why we ski tour. Like, there's a reason why they invented ski. You know. <laughs> so yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bikes and snow don't mix. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. We, or we'll take note of that since um, we might go up and yeah. plot around the back of Nels or something to see if uh, any of the snow that's coming is worth skiing. But um, no tally boots, Morgan, and no fat bikes. No. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, um, thanks so much for coming on to the show, Andrew. Um, what's the, uh, the best way people can find you and uh, follow what you're doing? I noticed that probably... Instagram, I would, I would guess, wouldn't it be? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't really put that much stuff up there these days, but um, I think Andy D. Blair uh, might be. Yeah, if you're keen to have a look, I don't know. There's a little bit from this winter, but uh, yeah, not too much, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's a sad story and we're all in the same boat in some regard. Yeah, but yeah. yeah well, obviously we've got it better than Victoria in terms of everything, like COVID and, and snow, I think, so... Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely feel for everyone down in Victoria, especially in Melbourne that didn't even probably get to the snow. Um, so yeah, definitely, yeah, didn't take it for granted this year. And um, but yeah, putting things in perspective, sort of, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, definitely don't want to whinge. It was, it was very nice to have a bit of fun up there. But um, but yeah, just kind of, yeah, very, very conscious of the people that didn't, um, didn't get to enjoy it this winter. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned that. Uh, well, I guess all of sort of southeastern Australia is going to be copping a bit of a storm tomorrow. You think you'll uh, be heading to the mountains this weekend, Andy? Yeah, I reckon might be probably the last opportunity for good snow. Um, there'll probably be a bit of touring um, still available after that, but um, yeah, I think there's 30 centimeters on the forecast for tomorrow. So just uh, I think. Maybe an overnight, a Saturday night, or just a day trip Sunday, depending on on what the weather shades up. Um, but yeah, I think I think it should be pretty good. Again, thanks so much for coming on, and um, yeah, I guess if we cross paths, we'd be good to go for a ski at some point in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll see you shredding on those lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, and thanks for those again. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Cool. Good on you guys. Thanks for that. Keep up the stoke. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Catch you later. Good on you, mate. See ya. Bye. Bye. Well, it was excellent to catch up with Andy then, Rich. Yeah, what a what a great guy and um, all round good telemark skier and mountain bike rider, which are two things that we love. Absolutely. And one thing I forgot to ask him uh, during our chat with him was that I noticed that he does seem to have um, a liking for the onesies when he's out skiing 
I did notice some oh, photos. Yeah, really? some very stylish, uh, all uh, red or all blue onesies. Maybe some of them weren't all onesie onesies. Some of them might have been the uh, the pants and top combo, but absolutely spot on for Telemark skiing. I think. Oh, I thought you meant like penguin. Giraffe <laughs> onesies and things like that. Oh, okay. No, no. That's uh, yeah. They were quite popular in Japan, though. Mm, they were. We did see a few, but um, yeah. We certainly thank Andrew Blair for coming onto the show, and it was great. And uh, yeah, those uh, those skis will no doubt be a fair bit of fun. Do we have anything else on the show today? Yeah, I think we're going to run a new segment, and this is just completely impromptu, Rich. But we're going to do. What are we going to call it? What's that sound? Name that sound. It's going to be the mystery Telemark sound. The mystery sounds of Telemark. Oh, I like it. The mystery sounds of Telemark. Yes. Yes. And we're doing this because I've brought a new microphone and we can absolutely hear everything using it. It's quite an impressive microphone. Yeah, we've actually just spent the last two hours um, making any and all sounds possible in or near the microphone for our own pleasure because yeah. we're sitting here, two dudes, socially distanced with headphones on, uh, sitting around a microphone. I'm actually four metres from the microphone. It's picking up my voice perfectly. Mm. Uh, Rich is about to tear an envelope. Yeah. Have, a look, have a listen to this. Oh, Jesus. That's loud. But how relaxing is that? You're sitting in an island surrounded by beautiful sand. <laughs> this is actually distressing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the secret sounds of Telemark. And uh, yes, for the fans at home, of course, we've got some sounds here from uh, various pieces of equipment. And you have to guess what it is. If you'd like to guess what it is, just uh, write into us or send us a message on Instagram or something. And, uh, and you could win, Morgan. What's the prize <laughs> that they're... I was going to say they're going to win a Snickers bar. Yes. Because surely Rich still has some left after he purchased four today. Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> right at Falls Creek, I stuffed them into my jersey pocket and consumed. So you could be the proud owner of a new Snickers bar. Yep. Um, so we've just nestled the equipment in front of the microphone here. So this is sound number one. Sound number one. Here we are. Yep. Text now. Ooh, what was that? What was that sound? Should we hear it again? Yes, once more. Here it goes. Ooh. <laughs> if you know this sound, call in to 1-800-TELLY-GUYS right now. <laughs> For your chance to win a Snickers bar. Do we have any, do we have any other sounds, Morgan? Yes, we do have some other fan uh, other sounds for this sound sort of has two parts i think so here's the first part you've just had a long day skiing this is my favorite part of the sound once more mm. what is that sound what is that one We've all we've all heard that at some point. Could this be sound number three? Oh yes, and uh, okay, and the last sound. Sound yeah. number three. Sound number three. Here we go. This is it now. Mm. 
Ooh, what sound is that? Again, if you know the mystery sounds of Telemark, please send us a message and you could win a Snickers bar. <laughs> <laughs> we, we might even send you more than one because the cost of postage is going to be more yes. than the cost of a Snickers bar. Well, you know what? If <laughs> I actually think I have some 75 million dead shirt or so, shirts or something lying oh, around yeah, in a box somewhere. True. So yeah. you, the actual prize could be a hoodie or a probably a, a long sleeve tee or something that says 75 million dead on it. Yeah. So if you're a yeah, 75 mil fan, you could you could win one of those. Yeah. Even if you're not even if you're on NTN, feel free. Yeah, to absolutely. Get, to get a 75 mil ain't dead shirt or you could go against us and make NTN is cool. <laughs> and, and put that on a shirt. I could write it on an old skivvy or something. <laughs> oh well. Um, do we have a songs for the free healers, Morse? Oh, all right, ladies and gentlemen. This is songs for the free healers. All right. I don't know. Yeah, we. Um, it would have to be one hundred percent impromptu at this point in time. Mm. Yeah, I've got a song, Morgs, I can pop in. Um, this was a, a cover of M. Ward. If uh, people don't know who M. Ward is, you definitely should check out his tunes. He's a very good musician. And uh, this is a cover of Chinese translation, and it's about heading overseas and, and visiting Josh Madsen. Oh, yes. To ask him some questions about teleskiing. Which we all should do. We should. And here it is. a wild, wild sea to the U.S. of A. I met a strange telling man, he said, in his freehill shop. He said, if you got some questions, go and lay them at my feet. But my time here is brief, because the powder's coming in. So I said, where can I find pieces for a broken G3 Targa And how can I keep my feet dry in my old leather boots And if NTN is really as good as they say Then why is the switch taking so long? Ski resort closed in. Madsen sang this song. See, I want ski leather just like you. Fred switched plastic, which I knew I had to do. I had some stiff duck bills for a long, long time. But then I switched to NTN And now my skiing is so sublime I'm skiing steeper lines With great edge control I can't step into my bindings Without bending over at all So if you like the future Go and try on some boots but if you're like your old stuff, then 
that's cool too because it doesn't matter what you use when you're free in the If you're happy without superfluous equipment, then don't worry about making a shipment. Because the most important thing is to keep spreading telemark. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing that one. Um, anyway, we should probably sign off. Absolutely. Um, uh, yes, yes, we should uh, sign off, Rich. It's been an absolute slice once again, and uh, I am, I am sad that the season is coming to an end. Although it will, um, you know, it will be. Yeah, it will feel like there's a hole in my week on on my Wednesdays and Thursdays without recording the cast with you. Yeah, it's been very fun, and uh, next week is the the last episode. We might. Oh, it is the last. Yep. Yeah, next week. Yeah. yeah. Is it going to be like a bonus Christmas Day episode or something? Yeah. Well, I think we should probably do a duet of some sort just to wrap it up. Yeah, um, we should. So tune in for that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, I don't know. We might pop up around the year throughout uh, summer to say hello, but that's um, that's about it. Anyway. Yes. Until next time. Yes, yeah. Those telly guys hope you have enjoyed this program. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch at thosetellyguys at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe for more fun episodes. Otherwise, you can find us on Instagram. Thank you. (laughs) 